I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Paul's epistle epistle to the church in Galatia. We'll be considering chapter 3, beginning in verse 26 through chapter 4 to verse 7. And then afterwards, we'll turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 46. Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found on page 253 of your forms and prayers. We'll read both Galatians 3, 26 through 4, verse 7, and Lord's Day 46 under the heading of Beginning to Pray. Beginning to Pray. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's words. Galatians 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. And then we'll turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 46, which can be found in the pew in front of you in your forms and prayers on page 253, Lord's Day 46. Lord's Day 46, beginning with question 120. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To which we respond, to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what we should be basic to our prayer. A childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith then will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Flip the page to question 121. Why the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from His almighty power everything needed for body and soul. Blessed Congregation, prayer. We all know it's a Christian duty. We all know we should pray more. Yet praying to God is a problem for many in the church today. In my experience, there is not a spiritual discipline that we struggle with more, myself included, than prayer. 
we in prayer can go through the motions with no idea why. Our thoughts can wander away. Some have exchanged prayer for quiet thought or meditation. And others have given up on prayer entirely. Prayer is entirely natural to the Christian. It should be, as the hymns of old say, the native air which the Christian breathes. So why do Christians have such a problem with prayer? And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that part of our struggle with prayer is tied to our struggle to understand God. You see, think of it this way. If we are uncertain whether God really exists, it will directly affect how you pray. And so it is also if we are uncertain if God is good. If we are uncertain God controls all things. If we are uncertain that God is concerned with ordinary people like you and like me, it will affect how we pray. You might conclude, prayer is pointless. It doesn't do anything. Prayer doesn't change anything. It's just a one-sided conversation. So when the disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11 and said to Him, teach us to pray, is it not so important that the first thing Jesus says is when you pray, pray like this, our Father. He is showing us that right-minded prayer starts with looking to God. And there needs to be a deliberate lifting up of our hearts to heaven. But that term Father communicates to us that our God to whom we pray is not one who is uncaring, not one who is unconcerned with the affairs of this world or a God who is unseeing, but Father communicates to someone that He is personal. Father is a person who is concerned with the ordinary people. Ordinary things of people's life. Jesus teaches us when we pray to our Father about the God to whom we direct our prayers. This address gives us the grounds to pray in childlike faith and gives us the ground to pray with Christ-like boldness. Our theme this morning is let us begin our prayers with our eyes focused on God. Notice our first point. Praying with childlike faith. J.I. Packer says it this way, the Lord's, the Lord's prayer is in family terms. Jesus teaches us to invoke God as our Father just as He did Himself. Close quote. See, one of the most shocking things about the New Testament is how often Jesus refers to God as Father. In the Hebrew Old Testament, there is over half a million words. And only 15 of them refer to God as 
a father. But by the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus has referred to God, Yahweh, as Father 170 times. From 15 in the Old Testament to 170 in the life of Christ. And when Christ calls God His Father, do we not see a breathtaking intimacy between the Father and the Son? Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 27, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Likewise, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says the Father and I are one. That's breathtaking intimacy. An intimacy that the Jews never thought they could have had with Yahweh. And this is what makes the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer so remarkable is that you and I are invited to address God the same way. See, in our Scripture reading this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers in Galatia. And like the Lord Jesus, he says that you and I are part of the family of God. But notice how we are part of the family. We are not part of the family of God by birth. No, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. We're not part of the family by nature. No, we are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2, verse 3. Look what Paul says in verse 26. He says, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Meaning that Jew and Gentile, bond or free, black or white, male or female, all are given the highest status in the family of God, the privilege of being the mature son. But the place of emphasis in this verse is actually in those first three words. In Christ Jesus. If you've read the Apostle Paul before, you know that his favorite term is that you need to be in Christ. That's what gives us the privileged place in God's family. That's what gives us a seat at God's table. This is why God hears prayer. Not because we have faith in a God. Not because we believe that there's something out there who hears our petitions. But listen to what Paul is saying. By virtue of faith in Christ, you're part of the family. By virtue of faith in Christ, you are welcomed into God's house. You're given a seat at God's table. And by virtue of Christ, He hears your prayers. Beloved, this is such an important truth. The reason God hears your prayers is not because you pray perfect prayers. Recently, I've been reading the Acts of King Arthur and his knights. I know, I'm a real fun guy to invite to parties. And in that old story, it says as they were about to prepare to go to war, the king told all of his knights and all of his people that they must fast and purify their hearts so that God would hear their prayers. That is a wrong way to think about prayer. 
God does not hear your prayer because you are perfect. God does not hear your prayers because you are sinless. The most important part of prayer, says Paul, is that you come in Christ through faith. We do not get God's attention by impressing Him with our words. There is no magic formula that needs to be said in order to get God to listen. No, God always listens to the prayer covered in the blood of Jesus. Do you understand that? God always listens to the prayers covered in the blood of Jesus. Think about it this way. Our catechism says there's an analogy between God as Father and our fathers here on earth. Dads, if one of your kids came to you in obvious agitation and concern, and they're stammering, they're struggling to get their words out, would you say, no, I won't listen to you until you craft a perfect request? No. Only a cruel father would say, you have to bring a perfect petition. You have to bring perfect words with, without error. So if we do not treat our children so cruelly, why do we think our Heavenly Father treats us so cruelly? The Catechism agrees with Paul. God has become our Father. Look at what it says. Through Christ. He gladly listens to the stammering. He gladly listens to our stumbling prayers because they are covered in the blood of Christ. And we'll learn in a moment that the Spirit comes alongside and blesses those prayers so that God receives them as perfect prayers. Your prayers are perfect in the blood of Christ and brought to the throne by the power of the Spirit. By way of an example, have you ever been with a family who has a young toddler? Maybe for dinner, you're out in the park for a walk, and the toddler comes to their mother, and they say something, and you know toddlerese, right? And you don't even know if that child is speaking English. It's Greek. It's Latin. But the mother understands the child perfectly. She is an ear for her son, for her daughter. So it is when we bring weak and feeble prayers to the Father because they are clothed in the blood of Christ and He has an ear for us. He understands you perfectly. See, this is what, the, what Paul is teaching the Galatians. Their union with Christ is the basis of their acceptance with God. Their union with Christ is the basis of His reception of them into the family of God. The basis of their receiving their prayers. The basis of receiving their worship. They're accepted. But honestly, acceptance is too weak of a word here. See, it's not just that we're begrudgingly accepted by God in Christ. But look at what Paul says. We're adopted by God in Christ. 
This is what our baptism testifies to, Paul says, verse 27. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Remember, remember that baptism is a sign of our seal and our union with Christ. When those waters of baptism ran over you, the Bible tells you that you were clothed, you were washed in the life. You were washed in the death. You were washed in the burial of Christ. That's Colossians 2, verse 12. And you rose with Christ in your baptism. That's Romans 6, verse 4. By faith. So that when God looks at baptized people who are trusting in Him, He doesn't see their failures. He sees the life of Christ. He sees somebody who has lived, died, and rose with Jesus. That's the same thing that Paul communicates with the word put on. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks upon you, it's as if you've never sinned or been a sinner. And this is so important with prayer. Packer puts it this way. When we come before God in prayer in the name of the Beloved Son, we are loved no less than the Beloved Son. When we come before God in the name of the Beloved Son, we are loved no less than the Beloved Son. In prayer, we come before God not as second-rate children or the black sheep of the family, but He is as much the Father of you and me as He is the Father of Christ. This is what it means to come to God with a childlike faith. By childlike, I don't mean juvenile. By childlike, I don't mean that we come not understanding. But when Jesus says, to such belongs the Kingdom of Heaven, He is saying, to those who simply trust. To those who simply come. To those who simply look to God. To them belong the Kingdom of Heaven. And so it is with us in prayer. We come in simple trust. Like a son, young son, or a young daughter brings their concerns to their father. Simply trusting that they will hear. Simply trusting that they will be concerned. Simply trusting that their prayers will be answered so we can come before God in prayer. And when we are adopted, Paul uses this language you see in chapter 4. We are heirs of God. See, by virtue of being in Christ, you are not a servant, you are not a slave. You are a son. Now ladies, don't be offended that Paul calls you a son here. Remember that in the Greek and the Roman culture, the firstborn son was the heir of the inheritance and was given the principal place of honor in the family. So what Paul is saying in verse 28, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, he is saying you are all given that principal place of privilege. You are all given the place of honor in the family. You are all given the great inheritance of faith in God's house when you come in Christ. 
You see, in Jesus, we're given a seat at the table. Not all the way at the foot of the table. You are given a seat right beside God the Father at the head of the table. You are given a room in His great mansion. Not a broom closet. Paul says in Christ, you are an heir. As much an heir of Abraham. Do you see how the address, Our Father, is full of meaning? This would have startled the disciples. Referring to God as Father was something they didn't do. But Jesus is calling us to seek access and welcome into the presence of God on the grounds that we are His children. And He loves us. And He loves us. That term, Father is so packed full of meaning. By God's grace, I was given a God-fearing, loving father as a young boy. There was a lot in life that I didn't know the future of. But when my father told me, it would be okay. You can trust me. I'll lead you through it. That gave me great hope. You see that in the catechism. A childlike trust. We can trust our Heavenly Father even in the situations we don't know the future of. Even in the concerning times, the fearful times, we have a Father who will lead us through. We can trust Him. And you can bring to Him every single one of your needs. That's what the Lord's Prayer tells us. Bring to Him your need of daily bread. Bring to Him those who sin against you and your anger and your frustration. Bring to Him the fact that we fall into temptation and that Satan is constantly confronting us with evil. Bring to Him your desires, spiritual, physical. You can bring them all to Him just as you brought them to your earthly Father. See, there's one other thing I want to point out from this text by way of application. Did you notice that Jesus says, Our Father. Paul talks about how there is many people in this family. He says in verse 28, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, when we have a Father, that also means we also receive brothers and sisters in Christ. One body. One family. One church. No second class citizens. See, part of prayer is that we lift up one another to the Heavenly Father. Not dependent on race, Jew or Greek. That was the problem in Galatia. Division between Jew and Greek. Paul says you need to pray for one another. Our prayers are not, are not divided economically, slave nor free. Our prayers are not to be divided based on gender, male or female. See, this is one of the reasons Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father. He is saying, you have brothers and sisters. You are part of a family. So when you pray, bring their needs to the Father. There are others in the family. Praying with childlike faith. There's also praying with Christ-like boldness. See, the Lord's Prayer is recorded both in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and then it's recorded a second time in Luke chapter, chapter 11. 
If you were to go home this afternoon and you were to compare both givings of the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6 and Matthew and Luke 11, you would notice there are a few differences. And one of the major differences is that Luke, in his record of the Lord's Prayer, omits the words, in heaven. In Luke 11, verse 1, it simply says, Father, hallowed be thy name. Now, there's no controversy here. In many of the Gospels, there, one Gospel will include something and another Gospel will omit. Remember, we need all four Gospels to give us the full picture of Christ. But our catechism, the reason I point this out, is following the Matthean Lord's Prayer when it asks in question 112, why is there added who is in heaven? And the reason this is important, the reason it follows the Matthean Lord's Prayer, is because there is another important aspect to beginning prayer. Which is, yes, He is our loving Heavenly Father. We can bring to Him every petition and prayer. But God is also Almighty. See, the God of prayer... Yes, He is your Father. But He is also the One who in a word created the heavens and the earth. The God to whom we pray is the One who struck down Egypt's firstborn sons and drowned Pharaoh in the sea. The God to whom we appeal is the Sovereign over all who sees all and knows all. The God of intercession dwells in unapproachable life The God of our petitions is the God of justice. This can be seen in Galatians 4, verse 4, where Paul says the cost of our adoption was He had to send His Son to redeem us. Our spiritual adoption cost the only begotten Son His own blood. This is the significance. This God, Holy God, Lord over the worlds, has become your Father. It's not that He ceases to be holy God. It is not that He is no longer almighty, wrathful, vengeance, God of justice. But He is condescended. Transcendent God has come down to be the Father of insignificant mortals like you and like me. Those who are redeemed and receive adoption as sons, Paul says, find that this awesome and holy and transcendent God stoops down in love to meet with you and me in prayer. Jesus adds the words in heaven not to scare you, but to increase our sense of wonder and our sense of joy and our sense of privilege at being His sons. This is how we start our prayer. Adoring His majesty. And recognizing the privilege we've been given. Consider what Christ is saying to His disciples in prayer, right here, right now, you have access 
to the throne room of God. You have the attention of the Almighty. Packer again says, Christ gives you a hotline for communication with God. And it's not long distance. The Lord of the world has time for you. His eye is on everything at every moment, yet we have His attention when we call upon Him. This is the power of the Spirit in prayer. See, God does not only give you the right to call Him Father, but the Holy Spirit as well. Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, carries your prayers covered in the blood of Christ all the way to the throne of God. We have free communication wherever we are. Whatever you're going through, you can come to the Father by the blood of Christ in the power of the Spirit. Do you know how encouraging this was for weak and needy disciples like them and like us? How Christ was able to go before the Father because He was the perfect, natural Son of God. He came to the earth, shed His blood for our sins so that we can be adopted and now we can come boldly before Him without fear. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then, listen to this, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We can come before God in Christ-like boldness because we too are beloved sons. In the blood, by faith, in Christ, you are a beloved son. Look at verse 7 of Galatians 4. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He is willing to receive sinners such as us through Christ. Come boldly and bring your prayers to Him. One final comment I want to make on this passage before we conclude. When somebody is in a position of authority, By what grounds can someone come into their presence? Remember the story of Esther and the king? She's trembling and fearful, but she can go into the presence of the king because of love. So does the president make time for his wife because he loves her. So does the king make time for his children Because He loves them. Because we are the objects of love in Christ, we may approach Him. 
So it is good for us to come. He delights and loves to hear His children's prayers. A word of application here. It is good for fathers to have a good relationship with their sons. But have you ever seen it where a father becomes less of a father and more of a buddy? More of a friend to their sons? The fact that we can come with fatherly reverence or reverence for our Heavenly Father and trust does not mean that we can be glib or foolish in prayer. But notice how the catechism draws in these two ideas. He is our Father and Holy God. We come in reverence and trust. Childlike and Christ-like faith. We approach Him with both. Come before God. Bring your prayers and petition. But do it reverently with fear and in honor. Not a fear of death. As the Jews of old came before God. But a fear of a reverent fear, knowing that we are loved in Christ. This is how the Lord Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers. We approach God with a childlike trust and a Christ-like boldness. We express our faith and adore Him, for He is God Almighty who loves to hear our prayers. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that we are able to come into Your presence at any time and any place and bring our prayers and petitions to You. And we thank You that You hear us because You love us for the sake of Christ and that we can present them to You even though we are but children. Even though our prayers are weak and feeble. You receive them for His sake. So Father, we pray that we would often begin our prayers Always begin our prayers with eyes focused upon You, knowing that You hear for the cause of Christ the King. And in His name we pray. Amen.